So, session three on your lanyard says conversations and breakouts. So, this is the bit where it's uh, that part of the afternoon where the sort of coffee's wearing off, hopefully not yet, but we are going to get a bit interactive and have a conversation because as you've been hearing today, um, the story is in you, every person here in this room. And so, we've all heard that expression, stories inspire stories, haven't we? And I think it's a very Irish thing, stories and sparse stories. And I was thinking about this during the week. We often live underneath other people's stories. Or we often say, when something bad happens to us, oh, it's the story of my life, isn't it? You know, can't find a car park space when I need one. It's a story of my life. You know, uh, milk has run out again. Story of my life. And we never say that when something good happens. Do we? We tend to live under, under, under other people's stories or the narrative that we put in our, our, our lives. And I think today, one of the things that, that um, hopefully you're hearing is that God wants to begin to rewrite your story. And God wants to actually pull your story into his story, the story that he is writing in our city and in our nation. The story of redemption, a story of restoration, a story of hope of confidence, of desire again. And that's the great thing, isn't it? He's on mission and we're joining him. So we're going to have a few stories um, now. And we've asked um, three wonderful volunteers. Uh, So if you guys want to come up, it's Brian, Annette, and Amy. So why don't we welcome them? Okay, so we're, um, we're just going to do this interview style. It's like, uh, it's like a band here, actually, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Who wants to do the first solo? Um, so, Brian, we'll start with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Brian, just tell us a little bit about who you are and where you, you are situated. My name is Brian Kelly. Well, that's not. My name is Brian Kelly, and I'm married to Anne, sitting down there in the, in the yellow top, the good-looking blonde. And see there, I'm married Woo! way above me way, punching way above me way. Anyway, um, I, we're situated in Crumlin in South Dublin, South Central, wherever you call it now. It's where we grew up, and uh, we are part of. We planted a church there seven and a half years ago now, called the Hope Centre. That's brilliant. And will you tell us a little bit why you started? So we're going to do each one. Just, yeah, you're going to do your why whole story. Why we started? Because yeah. God told us to. Yeah. No, but <laughs> That's really. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> really. Um, no, really, because God told us to. Yeah, no, not, uh, that's, um, we were part of St. Mark's for 20 years in Peerstree. Um, and probably for about 12 years, I had had a niche that you just couldn't scratch that we were supposed to start something in Crumlin. And um, so we, we left there in 2009 for to thought we were going to start something off in the next couple of months, and it took 18 months before we, we got to even have a service or get anyone together. We had no team. We had no, I was listening to Simon. We had no 20 people. We had no team. We had no finances. We had nothing. We had a prayer meeting in our house every Wednesday night, which many weeks there was the two of us, and sometimes there was three of us. Um, and that went on, and, and that was where we kind of started from. Brilliant. Most of why was because I suppose we want to see something happen. There's 20,000 people in Crumlin. There's 80,000 in Dublin, 12, and there's no church like the way we see church. 
That's great. Would you be able to share a few stories of where you've seen God at work over the, the years um, as you've been there and, and maybe a little bit about your rhythm as a community? Yeah, we, we, um, we started off renting um, a hall from the local Church of Ireland. They were the only people that would let us in. Shout out for the COI. Um, but uh, we rented a hall from them and we started out with Saturday evening service. Um, which I, to be quite honest, personally, I wish we still did because I loved having Sunday off. But, uh, but we switched to a Sunday service then a few years back. Um, so we would have a Sunday service at 12 o'clock. It's one hour long. Um, but during the week then, we'd have a counselling service that happens in the morning times. We have eight residents in our building. Um, some of them came from homeless situations. One guy was living in a tent for two weeks. Um, so we'd have some interaction with them. It's... it's um, Part of it is ministry, part of it isn't. It's, it's a funny old situation. Um, we partner with the YMCA, we run kids clubs there. Um, we partner with Tussle, we run parenting courses. I partner with the local partnership, I'm on the board there, and we do different bits and pieces with them. Um, we partner with the food cloud, um, lady down here, Mary, who had a heart for trying to feed the hungry. And not just we've had a soup run for years, but this was people who are living at home, who have mortgages who have bills to pay but just can't afford to buy food. So we partner with the food cloud and through that we provide um, some food, not as much as we'd like to and we're just re-looking at that and seeing how we can maybe make it a bit more successful and, and there's other little bits and pieces that happen here and there as well. That's great, Brian. Yeah, that's brilliant. Any other last stories you want to say where you've seen God at work? I think um, I, was, I was just talking to Anna Mullins there a second ago because that, that, that question has been wrecking me head since you sent it to me in an email um, where do you see God at work we, we saw one huge one and I, I just think it was fascinating we partnered with the Church of Ireland and the Catholic Church and ran an alpha in the local restaurant um, before Christmas and running over to Christmas into the new year and we've, we've one lady came through who now comes to church but, but that wasn't I suppose the miracle was getting everybody to actually sit at the table it took 18 months of meeting and praying and talking to figure out a way where we could do this without having an agenda except the kingdom of God. I think that's seeing God at work. Um, but the other part of that is that, I, I, I was just saying this to Anna, the fact that we're here, I'm here and I'm breathing, is seeing God at work. Every interaction we've had with people in our area um, is seeing God at work. And it's just a day by day thing. It's not like getting big magic things, you know? It's brilliant. Thank you, Brian. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Let's give Brian a celebration. Okay, next up is Annette. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're involved sure. in? Sure. Um, my name is Annette Evans. I'm from Tullamore, County Offaly. Um, I'm a lone parent, and I work for Alpha Ireland as an Alpha Youth Coordinator. Um, I also uh, volunteer as a youth worker in my church, um, which I love doing. And tell us about um, one of the things that you're involved in and why you got started and why you got involved in it. Um, well, I suppose everything I got involved in started with Alpha. So um, my life beforehand was a bit of a, a mess and I... My brother came home from America and he got me back going to church and then kind of it wasn't enough for me. I felt, you know, after a long time, I realized that what I was searching for uh, was community, that I, I didn't, wasn't involved um, 
actively involved in my church, even though I tried several times to get involved in different things. It, there was no sense of community. Um, and I remember um, I went to the Holy Land and I came home from the Holy Land and there was a mission on in the church. And I remember standing in the church saying, there has to be more to life than this. And those who know Alpha know that that's what they say. <laughs> Is there more to life than this? So um, without knowing what Alpha was, I ended up doing Alpha in my church. And um, uh, not only was I searching for community, I was also searching for a... I don't know what I don't know what they are. They weren't evident to me, and somebody said that my laughter was my gifts because I was always laughing. Um, and somebody that I met in uh, the Holy Land was testament to that because him and his wife were behind us, and he said, "You just laughed the whole way on the bus. You were always laughing." So that ended up being one of my gifts, um, which kind of helps uh, with young people is that if you're constantly laughing, then they're laughing with you. Uh, or at you, one or the other, I don't know which. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I suppose that's, you know, my heart is for young people, and that's where God led me. Um, and I suppose that's, you know, what we're hearing today is that we're ordinary people, and I, I was an ordinary person, um, and I thought I wasn't qualified to do anything. Um, and somebody then turned around to me and said that God doesn't call the qualified, that he, he qualifies the called, so... Um, and finally, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about prayer, prayer spaces and schools, and some of the ways that you've seen God at work through that. So yeah, so um, one of the the friendships that I have built up is with prayer spaces and schools, and um, I went to a workshop. Um, it's nearly four years ago now at this stage, and I thought it was to set up a boiler room, which was 24-7 prayer, and I was going like, you know, uh, I don't know how you get young people to sign up to that, but it ended up, it was a, a workshop on prayer spaces, and I was blown away by um, the, the what prayer spaces were, um, and that how easy that they were, you, you could do them. Um, so I started doing prayer spaces as part of um, my Re- Holy Spirit retreats for Alpha, um, so the, what prayer spaces are, they're just uh, creative prayer. So instead of expecting young people to, you know, to pray in structured prayer or um, just spontaneous prayer to God, this is, you know, the, you're, they're getting down on, on the ground and they're getting involved with stones or sand or paper or water. It doesn't matter what it is, and you know that it's there. It's there for you. And it works like so well. It's and as I say, it's so easy to do. Um, and I suppose one of the stories that I can tell you about prayer spaces, um, I had to run a, a retreat for um, boys, for uh, Holy Spirit Day for boys, and there was only 12 of them. And I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do with these 12 boys? Um, and I had already in my head that I was going to do prayer spaces in my church, my local church, which, which is huge. Um, and I set up 14 prayer activities. And I said to them, explained it to them, and, and said that we're, you know, we should be finished at about 20 past three, um, and you can go home then, because they the finished school at 20 to four. Um, so the, the, it was set up as a kind of a journey. They went on a journey from one prayer space to the next. And I thought, 
nobody moved. They were all just sitting there. And I went, oh my God, this is not going to work. And then one brave soul stood up and he went to the first uh, prayer activity and he started the ball rolling. So they, they started to move along then. Um, they didn't have to go to every single one of them. They could have skipped, but they waited dutifully, <laughs> dutifully till the other person had finished and they went along. Um, and my final station then was um, two people that could pray with them if they wanted. Um, and they, they went through every single one of them. Um, and it came to about 20 past three and I thought, okay, now they're all just going to leave. Um, some of the guys hadn't gone through all the prayer activities yet, but they still they waited and they didn't, none of them left until they had gone through all of the prayer activities. And like that, to me, was so powerful. Um, with just such a small group that you would think that they would be self-conscious of everything and everybody looking at them. But, the, you know, the, the, the um, feedback that came from the teacher was that they absolutely loved it, every bit of it. Um, and they're delighted that they did it. So, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, thanks, Annette. Um, do you want to give Nat a round of applause? <laughs> and again, I think the thing that strikes me is just, you know, his power space is, is straightforward. It's not rocket science, um, but it just takes people who are passionate and who are willing to invest the time and the energy, and, and the impact is so huge, um, especially in teenage boys, which is <laughs> the most unusual category. Um, so... Last up, we have Amy. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're involved in? Yeah. Um, my name is Amy. Um, I am... Oh, where do I start? Um, I'm, I guess, from Lucan, but I've lived in Dublin 8 for the last eight years. Um, I'm part of St. Catherine's Church, and I work for Solace Project, which is a community organisation based in southwest inner city Dublin. And so tell us, why did you get involved in, in Solace at the start? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question and um, one that you didn't put on the list when you told me what you were going to ask me. Shh. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> so in a week I'll have a really good answer for you. Um, but um, yeah, I think for me there were, uh, there's been a long journey and I was trying to kind of trace back um, where at what point in my life I don't have a story um, like um, we heard earlier about that, that fight um, scenario where that was kind of what sparked um, the start of a journey of injustice and I, I couldn't think of what my, my starting point was but I think there's been a, a trail throughout my life of, um, yeah, of really wanting to pursue um, justice and to um, yeah, see everyone get an opportunity to reach their potential. Um, and I get really angry when people don't. So, yeah. I followed my anger. Excellent. And, yeah, tell us a little bit about what does that look like and how have you seen God at work in that? Yeah, so Solis Project, um, we um, support young people, um, children and young people from the age of six right up to kind of 24-ish um, and we do that in lots of different ways. So after schools programs, mentoring programs, um, we have a, a social enterprise where we teach young people how to do wood turning as a way to get them used to um, an employment situation. Um, and we work with young people who are involved in offending behavior um, and then also young people who are in prison and when, and when they come out. So it's kind of a wide range of different things. Um, but I think what treads it all together is um, 
and the core of what it is that we do is about building relationships. So um, building trust in relationships with young people who maybe haven't had many people in their lives who they've been able to trust. Um, young people who've been let down by, by society, by, um, by the education system, by the state, by um, other adults in their lives. And so it's trying to um, create um, spaces for them where they are safe, there's practical support, there's homework support, there's dinners, there's um, practical training, but I think much more than that, um, what we're about is instilling hope um, and belief in young people. And the biggest issue I would see um, in my community is hopelessness um, and a, an apathy, a sense for that young people don't see um, a bright future for themselves. They don't see um, the possibility and the options that so many other young people in our country do and just presume, you know, third level is a, is a presumption for, for most people. Um, in, in Ireland now, in, in Dublin 6, 99% of young people go on to third level education. In Dublin 8, which is um, right next door, it's, it's 24%. Um, and that, in pockets that we work with, I'd say that's right down to less than 10%. And that's, that's not okay. Um, that's makes, that makes me really angry. Um, and there's lots of reasons that that is, but I think um, part of it is actually um, there's no culture of, of, of that being the norm. So it's trying to um, instill hope, um, getting young people to dream. We start with them really young, bringing them on college trips and getting them to think, actually, well, what could your, your future look like? Um, one young person that I spoke to recently um, who's now in sixth class and has been with us for a few years was a very um, challenging young person who, when he was first referred to us, I kind of thought, um, he's not going to last a week. <laughs> but he, um, I think, just needed somewhere safe to be um, and had a really kind of chaotic home life and coming into our club and getting his um, dinner every day and just having adults who were kind of steady and consistent and um, supporting him. Have, he's just he's calmed. He's just really kind of come into his own. And um, recently I was asking him what he what he wants to do when he's older. He's like, oh, I'm going to run this club. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, and the, um, the, the club leader who was there, she was like, that's great. I won't have a job. That's the dream. And, and I think for us, that, that is the dream, is that we will be done out of jobs, that, that, that there shouldn't be a need for what we do. And it should, it, there, you know, but, but there is. And what there is, we will we'll keep going. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, can we just give Amy a round of applause? Um, <laughs> I think for us, this was a really important part of the day, and I think we've heard a lot of stories this afternoon, and, and Brian's told some stories, and Simon's told some stories, and we've seen Chris's um, video, and that this is very much about ordinary people um, on mission in the power of the spirit, um, and, and that's what we want this afternoon to be about, and we're going to give some time in a little while um, for us to just process a little bit and, and reflect and hear from God and chat to each other. Um, but before that, we just want to ask Brian to come up and, and give a few last kind of reflections, having heard um, these guys, um, and give a few last thoughts on some of the how-to stuff um, from his experience. Uh, let's just, just reflect for a second. Let's do some cultural hermeneutics here. Just listening to these three stories. Tell me common elements you heard. Tell me turning points, moments. Just, just hit me with... Th th this is a case study, three case studies, in what mission might look like or, or starting something 
tell me, tell me, what did you hear? Common elements, turning points, whatever. Just observations. Say it again. So each of them, in their own way, express some sort of passion for some kind of place of need or group of people. Good. Say it again. Okay. Beginning with... Exactly. Beautiful. A couple others. Repeat. You want me to repeat what people say? I don't believe in that. I believe in giving the microphone. I felt each of them had a personal encounter or a conviction. Something motivated them to begin, and then it grew from that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, <laughs> what struck me was each one of them had a huge heart for the hurting. And there's something spiritual about that. There's like a God moment for everybody that you feel that God's maybe calling me to do something about that. This row is just killing it. So. <laughs> and out of that huge heart, they were willing to take a risk instead outside their comfort zone. Yeah, none, of, none of these stories happen without risk. It's impossible. There is no scenario where the kingdom comes and we have not risked failure and loss. There is no scenario. The kingdom comes through the bearing of a cross and through the laying down of our lives and sacrifice. A couple other. This side, you guys are losing it. Here. <clears throat> For me, what I was taking out of it was that they were feeling the fear, but doing it anyway. That's, that's what courage is, right? It's not the absence of fear. It's overcoming your fear or something like that. Yeah. You absolutely can. We had much more losers than we had wins in that, in that eight years. We've tried loads of things that didn't work and bombed out, and I've made major mistakes, major, and still do every day. But it is very much losing. More losses than wins, like, like Liverpool, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just playing with it. I just lost all of your love, all that love I built up. Half a, I'm a United fan, I'm sorry. Uh, anyone else? Couple, get me out of this. Any other good observations? Unqualified. Okay, good. Perseverance. Okay, so, so it doesn't always go right. You lose mostly. You win occasionally, but you don't give up. Uh, this is great. Great observations. I mean, I think that the, the work of starting and building something, I mean, here, here's some observations I saw. Uh, I think Brian said something like, we started with nothing. I think that's a very common reality. And, and if you have a scarcity mentality, if, in other words, if you're looking at what you don't have, that's often a barrier to starting. But people that press through that barrier say, I don't have anything, but I'm going to start anyway. So it's not looking at what you don't have, the money, the people, the team, the access, whatever. It's just feeling like I have to try anyway. Um, I think Brian said something like, the only people who would let us in is somebody. So that's also a common element where you've only got one play. That's very common in starting things. You're like, Lord, please help us. Please give us an opportunity. And you get one. One play. And you seize it. You take it. Um, uh, also there's some sort of Simon said it but then Brian said it also this regret of Sunday I think that's really important we started doing this eventually we, we moved into a Sunday service 
and later on we regret that. It's really important, I think, if you're thinking about new frontiers for mission and an expression of the church in mission around this city and around your country and around the world, that you don't think the end game is a Sunday morning service. The goal is not to create a Sunday morning service. And oftentimes, that is a cul-de-sac for us. That's a, that's a, that's a dead end. Because we think we're building up to one day have a Sunday service. Or we're using mission as a tool to get a bigger church. And, and, and then typically missionary people will regret that. They'll regret that choice. Uh, something about Alpha, too. Everybody keeps mentioning Alpha, uh, which I know very little about Alpha. But it seems to me like Alpha has freed itself in some way to be the church outside of the church. And so that is, God is using that somehow uh, in and around uh, your context because it is, a, it is a sort of freed or liberated system, freed or liberated structure. Uh, you know, uh, someone said something about, I didn't have any gifts. You said I had no gifts, or I didn't think I had any gifts. <laughs> but then someone said, no, you have the gift of laughter, which I'm sure you actually have quite a few more than that. But, but the discovery of your gifts, that's also a common, it's hard to kind of push past the barriers of mission if you, if you can't recognize that you have something to offer. And so we all have to have that conversion, in a sense, a conversion towards your own value or something in particular. I, th- I think it's beautiful that someone said to you, spoke over you, laughter is a gift, and you can bring that. And actually, then you begin to see how that's useful. Uh, but there's also some element of permission. There has, there, mission needs mothers and fathers who bless it, who said yes to it, who give permission. I mean, that's even... The etymology of that word, permission, like the father of mission, is permission. Mission doesn't happen unless somebody says, yes, you can do that. Yes, you should do that. And in a lot of our stories, that's absent, and it, makes, it means we, we wait too long because nobody ever said yes or blessed it. Um, just a basic kind of flow, if you're taking notes or if you're thinking about this uh, systemically, there's some sort of sight of the need that always, that is, that is the, the genesis of mission. You see, Jesus said, you know, in, in John 4, he's like, look at the fields. Look at these Samaritans who are coming down off this hill. This is like ready for harvest. Open your eyes. He says, open your eyes. So there's some sort of sight, spiritual sight, to see some kind of need. Then there's courage and risk, getting past your fears, taking a chance, taking a risk, which means you could fail. There's some sort of uh, element of building team. You need to go with somebody, even if it's just one person. You find somebody who will, like, be there with you, go there into that with you. And then there's experimentation. Now, I think the, the initial steps in mission should be conceived as an experiment, not as something finished. I think it's dangerous or you know, it's, it's psychologically dangerous to think, I need to know exactly what I'm doing and exactly how this works before I start. Number one, anything conceived and, and sort of raw in theory is always not going to stand up in reality or practice. So if you work too hard on the theory, you actually get yourself stuck. Instead, what we should do is we should step into the context, try things, and then that creates two possible loops, which I was explaining to some people yesterday. You have what's called a virtuous circle or a vicious circle. And this is what happens out of experimentation. You can start, if I had a whiteboard, I'd write it, but you start with a, uh, with, with a risk. You take some kind of chance in mission. You go uh, try to serve some food, or you go try to gather some people. 
And then you, you get data. You get the results of that. Good, bad, weird, it worked, it didn't work, nobody came. I felt stupid, they felt stupid. Uh, it felt like the absence of God, it felt like the presence of God. Whatever happens, happens. And then we have a possibility of two choices. We can either, we can either enter into a, 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 a period of critique, or you can enter into a period of celebration. This is critical. If you go from risk and this experimentation, and then you enter into critique, this is what we did wrong, this is why we shouldn't do it, this is why I'm terrible, this is why I'm not a good speaker, this is why I shouldn't be doing it, if you, or somebody else critiques you, then that leads to conservation. In other words, you, you, you think, I'm going to take less risks, I'm going to try, I'm going to do less things. And then that begins to diminish, a vicious cycle of diminishing mission and the work of starting things. If instead you celebrate, so experiment, even if it fails, this is something the underground's really good at, even if people fail, we, we just think it's amazing. It's like, yeah, that was, that was terrible. Wow, you know. Uh, it's sort of like, I, th- I imagine Jesus saying in, in, in Matthew 10, like, poorly done, my good and faithful servant, you know. Uh, it's, but you're still, you're still my good servant. And sometimes you lose all the money. And that's okay. Because you're still a good servant trying to do what it is that we want you to do. But if instead you celebrate, then that leads to taking more risks. Celebrating the story, celebrating the, the effort. Uh, which then creates this virtuous cycle of more people wanting to do that. And the last thing I'll say, I'll give it back to these guys, is that those things, uh, seeing need, taking risks, having courage, building teams, learning to experiment, celebrating the stories, having feedback loops of learning, become, listen, they become the new competencies for church leaders. So it's not that God can't use clergy or people in centralized church leadership. There is a, the point is there is a new mandate on you, a new expectation for what it looks like to nurture the church in this form. And it means we have to become good at different things. Not good at music. Music is lovely. Not good at preaching. Preaching is important. But good at can you help people see needs? Can you help people figure out what their gifts are? Can you help people discern calling? Can you help people form teams? Can you help people pull together resources? Do you know how to coach someone who is doing a startup missional thing? Do you know how to convene communities of leaders who are doing something similar? Or like, like Simon said, create partnerships that bring people together. That becomes the new competencies for those of you that feel called full-time into church leadership. Let me drop that. That's so good, Brian. Uh, thank you very much for that. And thank you to these guys. You're, f- You're free.